This week's Cityscape is going to the dogs. Good morning. I'm George Boldarki. This morning's show is chock full of dog-related material. We'll find out why the issue of dog fighting might hit closer to home than you think. Learn what breeds are best suited for city living. Find out how some city dogs got their names. Talk to a Manhattan artist who paints dog portraits and visit a swanky pet boutique. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Glad you're with us. The case of NFL star Michael Vick has brought national attention to dog fighting, but the issue is far from new. Officials at a Westchester County animal shelter say dog fighting has been around for a while. Many of the dogs here at the Mount Vernon Animal Shelter are pit bulls. The shelter's Sean Dalwas and Paula Young say dog fighting is prevalent in this and other New York City suburbs. I recently visited the shelter to talk to Sean and Paula. Dogfighting is notorious in inner cities, and I think it's another byproduct of youth that has nothing better to do with itself. The fact that there are so many animals available is a cheap and very easy component. You can go into any animal shelter and get a pit bull today. People breed them now. They have 15 puppies at a shot. And so this is a very easy and inexpensive tool to be used. I think kids have become so desensitized. Most of this is young people. Sean, what can you tell me about the culture of dog fighting? What a lot of these people do to make it so easy for them to be able to get pit bulls, they do a lot of inbreeding. They're not like uh, not like the normal breeders. Out. These are these are underground people, so they'll breed sisters to, to brothers and cousins. There's no real line anymore of the dogs. There's no straight genetic line that goes down from generation to lower generation. It's all done. It doesn't matter. And that, what it does, a lot of the inbreeding, it makes, it makes a lot of uh, weird things in the dogs. It can make the dogs nastier. It can do, do certain things. Inbreeding's a big thing. And it's kids making money. They'll walk down the street, and a guy will see another guy with a dog and say, I got $50 as my dog beats your dog. And they'll go right in the park, and they'll do it. You know, or they'll set things up in their basements or stuff like that. Paula, I would think that the police must be aware of what's going on. Are they keeping enough of an eye on dogfighting in Mount Vernon? I don't think we can single out Mount Vernon. I can say we can single out Yonkers and Portchester. And are they doing enough? I think up until maybe a couple years ago, animal cruelty and animal violence was considered something misdemeanor. And I don't think the police, since they have so much else to do, were giving it the seriousness, the serious implications that it had. Now they're realizing that anyone who's going to allow a dog to be ripped apart will also be involved perhaps with um, drugs, guns. So... The the problems are systemic. We could solve them by making spay and neuter mandatory for every companion animal. We could have really stronger penalties. Now I understand with all this attention, politicians are hopping on board and saying, okay, yes, let's make it a felony. Yeah, let's make it a felony. Why not? It should have been a felony a long time ago. Sean, I would think that you're seeing the after effects of dog fighting here quite a bit. Injured dogs, kittens who, from what I understand, are used as bait. Yeah, we've seen um, lately. You know what, I just want to say one thing before I answer that question right there. It has been going on for a long time, and we've seen stuff like that here for, for, for since I started here two years ago. We've seen it, but, you know, the Michael Vick thing helps bring it to light that it's in everybody's backyard, because it basically is. If you're in the Bronx, it's in your backyard. If you're in Queens, Brooklyn, it's in your backyard. It's there somewhere, just like cockfighting was a long time ago. Cockfighting is still there, but pit bull fighting or dog fighting has taken over. 
around here. We have seen we have seen it quite often, a lot more often in the last month or so than we'd like to see it. You know, I found we found a dog uh, lying in his own blood that was used as bait. You know, shortly after that, there was kittens dropped off at the shelter. Um, a week later, we seized six dogs from my backyard, five of which were pit bulls and one Rottweiler in hard conditions. And five weeks later, we raided the same house with a search warrant inside the house, and we got six more dogs, which were six, six more pit bulls. And one of them's face was ripped apart. Obviously, either he was fought or he was used as bait or a fighting dog in the house got a hold of him somehow. And he's a big sweetheart dog, you know. And we've seen it lately a lot, but we have also seen it in the past before. As far as the Michael Vick case is concerned, do you think it's going to help or hurt the cause? Is it going to encourage more people to get into dogfighting, people who may have not thought of it, or is it going to scare people into not doing it? What do you think? Um, could possibly do a little bit of both, but I'm hoping, we're hoping that it would do the, the first, you know, deter people because they can see, well, you know, you can get in trouble. Paula, what do you think? I don't think it's going to encourage people to say, oh, gee, this is another way for us to make money. The other thing is I think it's making pit bulls seem more sympathetic, which has to be a good thing. Shelters are 90% pit bulls today. And many people, of course, historically have been afraid to adopt pit bulls. Absolutely. They think that they're killers. But remember, Petey from the Little Rascals was a pit bull. And it's the pit bull's qualities of loyalty to its master that allow it to be then transformed and manipulated into a killing machine. Let me ask you about the rehabilitation of a pit bull that was used in fighting. Can you rehabilitate that animal? Yeah, I have a dog that was used in fighting. His name, well, you know his name, but he was he was fought for about five years. He's now seven to eight years old, and he was supposedly a quote-unquote champion fighter. And, you know, it doesn't mean anything to me, but I've, I've heard the history of him. And he came to our shelter. After he was too old to fight, they filed his teeth down and started using him for bait, which is what they do, or training dogs and then bait. And he was basically dumped here at the shelter half dead. Um, he's a big, scary-looking dog, I won't lie, but he's a, he's a great dog. He loves... He's a 95-pound mush. People need to adopt dogs from shelters. This shelter also really needs dogs adopted. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And as long as we continue to have the police doing their job, breaking up these pit bull fighting rings, we're going to keep getting in dogs, and we need to get them out of here. Paula Young and Sean Dahlwasser with the Mount Vernon Animal Shelter. Atlanta Falcons quarterback Michael Vick is expected to plead guilty to dog fighting charges on Monday. Dogfighting raises a variety of concerns about canine care. New York City resident Patricia Curtis has made it her mission to make sure dogs are properly cared for. She's a dog owner and the author of City Dog, Choosing and Living Well with a Dog in Town. I talked with Patricia at her Brooklyn home. It's from the mistaken notion that dogs are not happy unless they've got a great big place to run off leash and that kind of thing. And in the best of all possible worlds, a dog could have a good life having a big yard to run in, or he can get that kind of pleasure in a dog run also. But let's face it, what a dog really wants is to be with you. I mean, he wants to be with his owner. My dog, she probably doesn't get enough uh, exercise, but she's so devoted, and, you know, a dog really wants to be with its owner. So that's what's most important. Let's talk about Lola, who is now right beside me here, a beautiful German Shepherd. Yes, she is pretty. Um, I went to the shelter to adopt a dog after my beloved Susanna, who's on the cover of my book. Um, She had terrible seizures, and after many days at the Animal Medical Center and many thousands of dollars, she died. And so after a while, 
I decided I'd better go to the shelter and get another dog. So I went intending to adopt a small dog and a, an older dog, maybe a middle-aged dog, suitable for a lady of a certain age. So I go to the shelter. I went up to Bark up in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which has a, a very good shelter. And I looked at all the dogs, and this one, it was her face that, that uh, got me. And she's young, and she's big. <laughs> she's not middle-aged and small at all. And we tell her she's the wrong dog, and we tell her that all the time. And she thinks it's a compliment, because the way we say it, you know, oh, lovely, you're, you're a wrong doggy, wrong, wrong, wrong doggy. <laughs> and then she grins and wags her tail. I must say, she is as sweet as can be. Often, shelter dogs have a stigma attached to them, that they're problem dogs, that people abandon them for a reason. What do you say to those people? Well, some of them are problem dogs, but I think that I don't think there is a dog that, that has a problem that can't be cured. Uh, when I first got Lola, I think she had been in an abusive home. Um, she liked the people at the shelter, and they were very kind to her, of course. But uh, when I first got her, she was a basket case. She was afraid of men, children, and other dogs. Uh, she was all right with women, but not with men. She was very shy. She never growled or bit, but she would hide behind me. They told me at the shelter that they had been afraid she was a fear biter, which, you know, obviously a self-explanatory, a dog that bites out of extreme fear. But, um, you know, over time, with a lot of reassurance, she came to be this absolutely sweet animal. She is a big dog. Many people in New York City live in tight quarters. For people who live in small apartments, should they write off getting a big dog? I think it depends on the breed, the age, and your lifestyle. Um, if you live in a small apartment, but you like walking, you know, you take long walks, you go to the park, and that kind of thing, and provide your, enough outdoor exercise for your dog, you could have a gigantic dog in a small apartment, depending on, you know, how often you take it out. If you work all day, get somebody to walk the dog during the day. And it also depends on the age and the temperament. You know, an older dog doesn't need a lot of exercise. Is there a short list of breeds that make better city dogs? Well, I think I'm rather partial to golden retrievers and to the um, various medium-sized dogs that are short-haired and temperamentally good. But um, it's not true that just small dogs are the best because they're very often the ones that bark a lot and uh, when left alone or very hyperactive and are, um, you know, sometimes temperamentally unsuitable for the city. I'm par rather partial myself to mixed breeds. Um, if I was in the market for a dog, I would certainly go to a shelter again and um, select the dog that speaks to me. You know, sometimes you look in a dog's eyes and you just know. That's a rather romantic notion of how to choose a dog because you probably should do some research beforehand. But it's always worked for me. Are there any dogs that just don't work in a city environment? I wouldn't, you know, recommend a Border Collie or any of the, um, the herding dogs. Maybe not in the city. 
Dogs in New York City are exposed to so much, the noise, the traffic, the people, other dogs. How do you get a dog accustomed to all of that? Well, I think you start and do it by degrees. Also, you, um, a good dog trainer can help you with that, too. Um, I'm a great believer in good dog trainers. Do some research beforehand and get some recommendations because there are a lot of, just like everything else, there are a lot of incompetent dog trainers, and there are a lot of nuts in the dog training business, too. So um, ask around from, you know, go to a dog run and ask the people there, especially if they've got well-behaved dogs. Let's talk a little bit more about barking in New York City, because especially now with the new noise code, I believe owners can be fined if their dogs bark for more than 10 minutes during the daytime and more than five minutes at night. What do you think of that? I think it's a good idea, because people have rights, too. And there's nothing more frustrating than living in an apartment where the dog is barking all the time uh, when left alone. I think you really must train it not to bark when it's left alone. Um, Now, Lola barks when somebody comes in, and if she kept it up, I would have a problem. I would have to get some, you know, a dog trainer to come and help me make, make her stop. Dogs, as you mentioned, need a lot of exercise. And here in the city, you often see people either jogging with their dog or even bicycling with their dog alongside them. Is that a good idea? I think jogging with your dog is all right, as long as you have a dog that's got <clears throat> good chest capacity, good lung capacity, and you're not jogging all the time on pavement where, because the dog isn't wearing sneakers and its foot pads can be harmed. And if you jog you know, enormous distances, it can hurt the dog's feet. Be sure that you examine your dog's feet. Slow down when your dog you know, looks like it's getting tired. Uh, make sure you have water for the dog. Um, I would rule out bicycling. I think that's a dumb idea. I really do, because you can hurt yourself by accidentally bumping into the dog. You can hurt the dog. You can cause an accident to other people. I would give up, I would give up the idea of bicycling with a dog. I've seen people do it, and I don't recommend it. You write in the book that you think that city dogs can be healthier than suburban or rural dogs, because they're in such close quarters with people. I believe that, and um, also statistically, it's known that city dogs live longer than dogs in the suburbs or the country, because they're usually, for one thing, if you've got any sense at all, your dog is going to be on a leash, whereas in the suburbs or in the country, your dog may be running and be um, in danger of getting hit by a car or into some other kind of accident somehow. Any other words of wisdom for dog owners in New York City? No, just that dogs rock, and we know it. (laughs) Patricia Curtis is the author of City Dog, Choosing and Living Well with a Dog in Town. Patricia, thanks so much. You're welcome. Nice to know you. Patricia's book, City Dog, is published by Lantern Books. You're tuned to a dog-themed cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Woof. Good morning once again. I'm George Bodarki. Thanks for joining us. According to the most recent survey by the Department of Health, Max is the most popular dog name in New York City. But when we went out to the Union Square dog run, we found some more diverse examples. Rita Habib, and I'm from Manhattan, right here at Gramercy. 
My dog is a black lab mix, and his name is Spirit, and everybody says we gave him the right name because he could stay here all day. As you see, he's you know, running around with everybody. These are all his friends, Zoe, Beckett, Max. They have a really good time. They play so great. There's two reasons we named him Spirit. My dog had just died in November, and I wasn't really looking for a dog. I fell in love with him. And he was very spirited, plus my, we felt bad about my other dog, so it was like her spirit. So we named him Spirit. Peter Harrison. I'm from Jersey City. But I had a dog, Nancy, once, and people seem to have adverse reactions that I named it a human name. I don't know why that was. People say, hey, Nancy, that's a strange name. And uh, my nephew named it after my mom, so it was kind of, kind of funny. I don't know. I guess they expect... Spot or Bluto or whatever. My name is John Keller. Uh, Lola, she's a Boston Terrier. Yeah, it was kind of Lolita after the, you know the book and the movie. And then I, when I got her, I just kind of a lot of L's started popping into my Lucy L's. I don't know. She just looked like a bunch of L's. So Lola was the one that just kind of seemed to match her personality the best. My name is Zeus Rokencourt. I'm 10 years old and I'm from France. I live in New York. Sheepy, C-H-I-P-I-E, and it's French for mischievous, and he lives up to his name. He's a large Yorkie. Yorkshires are really small sometimes, but he's like 10 pounds. He's really fast, and he has a sense of humor. He loves the hose, and he'll get soaked sometimes. He, he's a good dog. <laughs> Uh, my name's Jim Stewart. I'm from upstate New York, but um, I live here in the city. I'm a dog walker. Um, I'm walking Zoe. Her name's Zoe. I don't know. That's a that's a person's name. Um, her owner, she's European. She, I'm not. I can't remember what uh, country she's from. But she, and uh, Zoe, I guess is a European name. But I, I know some girls' names Zoe too. So my roommate's got a cat named Snuggles, which is pretty stupid. I. Think. New Yorkers are clearly nuts about their dogs, and that's provided a window of opportunity for some people. I recently chatted with a Manhattan artist who paints dog portraits in the style of the old masters. My name is Luis Ramos, founder of Petcasso. Petcasso. Tell me about that. Petcasso is a pet portrait service for the discerning New York City or nationwide pet owner. Uh, I paint portraits of dogs, cats rabbits, uh, what have you. <laughs> How did you get involved in this line of work? I'm a fine artist. I've trained uh, traditionally with uh, life drawing, painting, acrylics, and uh, one day I decided to try and paint my, my own animals. I had a little Boston Terrier and a pit bull, Simon, and I decided to see if I could capture their likeness in a Renaissance-era type of uh, setting. We're upstairs now in your studio. Is that the portrait that I saw downstairs in your apartment? That's right. That's Simon and Mabel. Did someone just see that portrait and say, you know what, Luis, I want you to do my animal? Exactly. That's exactly what happened. Uh, we would have friends come over, and at first they thought maybe we bought the painting, and then they looked, took a closer look and realized, hey, these are your dogs. Where did you get that painting? So that's when I would say, well, I did it myself, and they were they were just amazed and really happy with the results and said, hey, you should do this. You know, people would love to have a painting of their pets done in that style. 
And uh, so I started thinking about it and did some research, looked online, and realized that was sort of like a niche, a, a genre that wasn't there, and I decided to pursue it. And I started doing, of course, you know, the free family and friends, and I just became more comfortable with it. And I, I love art history, and so I started doing uh, combining uh, sort of like a Raphael or Botticelli background with, uh, you know, modern-day pets, and I kind of came, came to a, a good um, meld of uh, styles, which I sort of uh, think is missing in the pet portrait uh, field. How does it work? How does it work? Does someone commission you and say, here is my dog or here is a picture of my dog? Well, usually they, they contact me either through the mail or email, and they'll ask, uh, well, first they'll send a, a great picture of their pet, which is always funny because I get all kinds of pictures, and that's always nice to do. And uh, they tell me what, what, what they'd like to see. Usually they see a painting up from my website that they like, and they'd like to maybe uh, have a similar painting. So from, from there, I would suggest uh, scenarios. They set up a few pictures. I come up with the sketches. I go into my vast resources of uh, art history books and come up with uh, some an idea, and I, I sketch out uh, a few sketches, and then I, I email it back to them, and we discuss uh, different ideas from there. They give me the okay, and then I, I go from there. I, I create the painting from from those sketches, pretty much. Do you want to know something about the personality of the animal to help guide you in doing the portrait? I always like to hear about the personalities, whether it's like, uh, you know, a tennis ball fetish or, uh, you know, they uh, some dogs love to play with toys or obsessed with uh, slippers or any little thing. That's what I, I think I'd like to include in my paintings is something funny, something humorous. Uh, one painting I did was of... Uh, a terrier who 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 who's known for being a hunter. So in the little in in a corner, not too many no, people notice it. But in the corner, I have a little rodent there. So the dog is kind of like you know, there's a little rodent there next to the dog who's going to eventually you know chase after that uh, little rodent. So I, I try and add a little humor to all of my paintings, whether in the background or something that you don't notice right away. But yeah, I think humor is important in the paintings. Tell me about the portraits that we see here in your studio on the wall. Well, I have this one large uh, painting that says it's one of a series I'd planned on doing. Uh, I wanted to sort of base it on uh, the old high school portraits of the 70s where you would see one large picture and then in the background sort of a faded uh, uh, different angle. Uh, it's hard to describe, but I, I, I'm still trying to capture that feeling. But uh, I'd like to have a whole series of uh, very large paintings, and I'm not sure where, where I'm going with that one yet. But Is it a certain type of pet owner who commissions a portrait of their animal? Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I would hope it's any type of dog owner who loves their dog or cat. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about what you're working on now? I'm working on... Um, a Doberman. Uh, his name is uh, Fritz. Fritz the Doberman. It's for a client out in Texas. He's very excited. He sent me a gorgeous picture of his dog uh, in broad daylight, sitting uh, surrounded by uh, these. Uh, it's a certain type of flower only found in Texas, I, I believe. 
and um, he said, this is what I want. It's a gift for my, my wife. She's very excited, and she's going to love it, and uh, I thought it was a great idea. So right now I'm about to start the painting process, which is con uh, transferring my sketch onto a canvas and then layering in uh, values and colors. And the process takes about uh, four to six weeks from sketch to final painting. Has it become any more competitive from when you first started? I'd have to say yes a lot. When when I first got into it, I, I kind of did a little research and saw what was out there, and and there weren't too many, although not what I wanted to do. But now I notice it has seems to have exploded with the last couple of years, and I'm hopefully that I'm doing something that not too many people uh, can get. Luis Ramos is online at Petcaso.com. So if you're going to have a portrait done, you'll probably want to dress your dog up in fancy clothes and jewelry. We all know about the trend of dog as fashion accessory. We can thank Paris Hilton for that one. And at the heart of it all are exclusive dog boutiques. We visited one such store and its owner, Ada Nieves. Yes, this is a Prima Dog line. And then we have, uh, like, every day wear outfits in here. You have... Uh, Little jackets, uh, tank top shirts with messages on it. This one is pink uh, with uh, pink pocket dots. And then we have the bandanas. Bandanas, any dog can use a bandana. If you don't dress them up with t-shirt, at least they can get a bandana. My name is Aira Nieves. I am the New York City Chihuahua organizers. Plus, I run a small business to cater dogs. We do birthday parties and supply clothing. Everything that is doggy, I'm there. I have here with me Tequila Bon Nieves and Tabasco Chili Pepper. Uh, tequila Bon is a model. He works for Ralph Lauren. He's a regular there. And he's also right now out in a book called Pocket Pop. Tabasco here is the only Chihuahua champion living in the city right now. When you are uh, competing in the show ring with your dogs, it's a complete different level. The dog has to meet uh, qualifications according to the standards of that breed. Each breed is different. Uh, he has a straight back. Paws are straight. The muscle has some measurements that go to the, to the face. The, the position of the ears, the ears. I mean, they go to a lot of different things. Too. We are here at Prima Dogs. We are at 131 Avenue A. And this is a small boutique that caters uh, doggies. In the front row, we have a small bakery where we supply cookies and treats, uh, doggy cakes, doggy ice cream, birthday hats, everything that involves having a party or any celebration involving dog your dog. cookies. As you can see, we have them just with a yogurt coating, or some of them are more fancy elaborated, like this one that has some sprinkles. Um, Color sprinkles. Ice cream-shaped cookies, or you know, little donut-shaped cookies. Yeah. Last Sunday, oh, the, we had a celebration, and the, and the theme was a cowboy, Wild West party. And I did uh, a Maltese cake dressed up as a cowboy. And then the cookies were little boots and cactus and the sheriff stars. So. And then we have uh, the little bones that have carob. This is not chocolate. Dogs cannot eat um, chocolate. In the back, we have the boutique area where we have the clothing and the little beds 
and the carriers, the bowls, the leashes, I mean, everything. To go a little more luxury and, and have the extra things that we like to pamper our dog with. I design <laughs> outfits for dogs. And back there is my little showroom where we're gonna do the couture line. Of course, they had to be dressed up for the occasion. So they wanted tuxedos for the boys and they wanted the little bridal gowns for the girls. They not also get all dressed up, but they can be part of the ceremony. For example, they can carry the rings or the, or the Chihuahua girl can be the, uh, have some flowers, which will be like kind of her own special bouquet. <laughs> some of the designs that you can see here, like I told you before, the bridal dress with a color <laughs> veil. You can see everything is done by hand, the pearls, the stone, just like a real wedding gown. Well, people right now, I mean, probably a lot of people started to get in the smaller dog because it was a trend that they were seeing just just to have a small dog as an accessory but of course after you have the log the doggy you fell in love with them and then you want them to provide them everything that you can dogs uh, enjoy everything that they see that their owners get happy and excited about you know dogs want to please the owner so if you you know if the owner of the dog wants to go and get some let's say t-shirts or outfits and they are excited about it the dog is going to feel that the owner is excited and that's going to make them happy because they're going to feel that they are pleasing the owner and that's what it's all about that's ada nieves you can find out more about her and her products at ada ada nieves n-i-e-v-e-s dot com well that's it for this week's cityscape the weather looks great for the next few days so get out there and walk your dog and if you don't have a dog well just go for a walk yourself and since we're never content to just let sleeping dogs lie here at cityscape we're going to remind you yet again about the cityscape archives and our podcast find out about all of it at wfuv.org I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Jody Avergan. Have a great weekend.